And we're live. Hey everybody, welcome to This Week in Zoltan. It's episode 335, coming at you on a beautiful uh, Tuesday afternoon, October 25th. Who would have thunk it? We made it. It's fall, even in San Diego. I know these leaves behind me aren't changing colors, and if you're listening on audio, just assume that you know there's a bunch of potted plants behind me, alright? Because there are too many. In fact, um... But we have one tree. We have one tree in the front yard. It doesn't change color. It just goes bald and drops a bunch of dead leaves on the ground. And then I tell myself every day that I'm home, I'm going to go scrape up those leaves. But then I remember, I don't have a rake. I don't have like a a funnel. Not a funnel, but you know, like a, a thing. Last time I cleaned up leaves was a year ago, and I used, I ripped off two lids of a moving box and kind of shoved things into a pile and then used that to scoop it into the trash can. And two people walked by while I was doing that, and it was the dumbest I had felt since living at this location. Which is always, you know, you remember those things. You remember those first time I'm an idiot at this new address feeling, and that's what that gave me. So the leaves are piling up. My car looks like hell. It's a Honda Fit, but even for a Honda Fit, it's looking a little, you know, Toyota Tricelli. You know what I mean? Remember the Toyota Tricel 90s? Even when it was new, you're like, that car is bad. That's a bad car. You shouldn't have that car. And then a few years passed, and they quit making the car. And then when you saw the car, you already knew who was driving it. You already made all the presumptions. You're like, that person is about to live on the streets. It's the last step. That's when you're at a real fork in the road. When you're driving a Toyota Tracel in like 2005, that's when you knew your life was going to go one way or the other, and it was going to be noticeable. Whichever direction your life was going to go, it was going to be noticeable. That's how my car looks, because this tree, not just leaves, there's something about trees... That when it it sprinkles down on your car, it's mixed with like honey and syrup and flies and just tree goop. And then your car looks like it's been living in a barn for a hundred years. It's like embarrassing to take it to the car wash. I'm embarrassed to bring it in. I'm embarrassed. They see it. The people washing the cars, they look at it. And the other customers... At the, at the washing place, just see me, everyone has regular cars, everyone has regular cars that come in, not even that dirty, just the regular amount, you know, just like, yeah, I guess, I guess there's a little dust on that, yeah, that could be spruced up, maybe it's not shining to its most proficient level, but then I come in, and people are like, good lord, I just look like my paycheck cleared today, that's what it looks like. Every time I bring my car in for a car wash, it looks my it looks like my paycheck just landed in my bank account. And I'm like, after this, I'm getting groceries. And then we're going to try to survive for two more weeks. Hello, late-stage capitalism. Um, anyway, that's what's going on in my immediate present. Mm. Sip of iced coffee for the working man. I, uh, I had a great trip. I know we didn't have an episode last week. I was traveling through. I did shows. I did a show at a college in uh, Central Washington. I did uh, I did a show in Renton with my friend Monica Nevy at the 
Carco Community Theater, a lovely little community theater that was next to the community pool and the community rec center. It was uh, it was the closest I'd ever performed to a community pool, and it felt it. It felt it felt like that stage was meant for a youth production of Macbeth. Like that's what it was meant for. Like the fact that we had a couple beers in the green room felt wrong. It felt like smoking in an elementary school where you're like, I get it, I'm a teacher, but also I feel like I should do this in the parking lot. That's what the whole situation felt like. But you know who didn't make it feel like that? The amazing audience that came out. Thanks for so much. Thanks for so much. Thank you so much for coming out and laughing at my face. Made me feel magical. Because college gigs uh, can make you feel one way or the other. You know, the, the show I did in Central Washington at Central Washington State University was great. It was, the kids were fun. Uh, they giggled at my stuff. That's my fear. I'm 35 years old. These kids are 18, 19, 20. Put that anywhere in them, Emma. Uh, these kids are 18, 19, 20. Like, they might not be able to relate to whatever the hell I'm talking about. That's my fear. But then I go out there and I talk about therapy, a little bit of depression, not wanting to kill myself, but if I died, it wouldn't be the worst, like that kind of stuff, and you hear the response from them, and you're like, hell yeah, you're just like me, just like me, made me feel at home, um, but yeah, before we get into that, there's been craziness, uh, going on in the world, uh, Kanye West is, uh, Kanye West against the Jews, who would have thunk it, did you have that? On your 2020 bingo card? Did you have that? You're like, yeah, after everything, and the queen dies, Kanye West is gonna dislike Jewish people. That's what happened. That's what I... Listen, Kanye West is, uh... He's mentally ill, I think. I think that's clear to say. I think it's clear to see, now looking back on it, that the only thing that was holding Kanye West together was his mother. I watched that documentary, and as soon as his sweet mother died, it went off the rails. And I think the main thing we can learn from that is it's never healthy to be that close to your mother. It's amazing to have a mother as supportive as Kanye West was. I have a mom that I would like to say is as supportive, but I think Donda West was a whole other level. I have, well, with all due respect to my mom, who's been nothing but supportive with my dumb endeavors, uh... Donda West was at another level, but the other thing that was at another level is how close they were, and you sh- I don't think it's good. It's sweet, it seems good on the surface, but then they die, and now you're left, and next thing you know, you have a bottle of Hennessy, and you're storming the stage at the VMAs to yell at Taylor Swift for winning an award for a music video, and you go on a rant on how Beyonce should have won that music video. It slowly starts slipping downhill. And then here we are 10 years later, probably more than 10 years later, and uh, it's going after the Jewish people and saying the anti-Semitic stuff. This is a clear indicator of you shouldn't be that close to your parents. You should love them, respect them, if they deserve love and respect, if they treated you nice and gave you warm hugs. You know, give them the love and respect, and then see them once a month. What's wrong with that? You know, see them once a month. 
And if you don't live in the same state, talk to them once a month. But if it's too close, you're gonna, it's gonna fry your brain. It's gonna fry your brain, and you're gonna go off, and you're gonna make lunatic statements, and uh, then your ex-wife is gonna have to put out a statement. That's when you know you messed up, when your ex-wife has to come out and go, I know I'm not with this person anymore, but I still feel the need to say this, just because what he said was so out there, I feel like I'm gonna be clumped into it. And she tweeted, you know, I stand with the Jewish community, which that's a whole other argument or conversation. Like, is that all you have to do? Like when someone writes, I stand with the fill in the blank community and I'm letting it be known that I stand with them. Is that it? Or do you have to do something after that? Do you have to physically go stand somewhere and go, see, I'm right here standing with them. Or is the tweet it? Is the tweet it? Are we still there? I feel like that's a millennial thing. That's my generation. My generation is all about... Doug Stanhope had a great joke about this, but it's all about raising awareness. We're, we're the generation of, look over there. Aren't I a good person? I told you to look over there. There's a fire. Oh, I'm not getting any buckets of water. I'm not a firefighter. <laughs> I'm not saving anyone either. I'm very flammable. But there's a fire over there. And I suggest the proper authorities go tend to that social fire over there. I'm going to stay here and collect all my likes and adulation and retweets and, was it, virtue signaling, whatever. Uh, but the problem's over there. I think that that's a millennial thing. Now, what the next generation has done, Gen Z, is they've taken it to another level because they no longer just raise awareness. They raise awareness with action, like going to an art museum and throwing soup at, at a Monet. And they're doing that to raise awareness for climate change. And it's happened a few times now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good Lord, hit the goog. Hit a goog, as Mark Norman would say. Google that. Apparently, these kids are going out there, and they're throwing canned soup at a work of art, and then they sit down, and they yell something about climate change. And that's an idea someone had, that they felt confident enough to say out loud to somebody else. That was someone's idea. That's the part I can't get around. I have dumb ideas all the time. I say most of them on stage. And then I have another level of dumb ideas where I'm like, that's going to the grave with me. That's going to stay in my heart. That's going to stay in my soul because I don't think, um, I don't have the intestinal fortitude to let that thought out of my mouth. But then there's someone like them, one of them, was like, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go to an art museum, open a can of soup, and we're going to throw it at a Picasso or something, and then we're going to sit there and yell about climate change. That person actually had the gall, the rocks, the moxie, to let that dumb idea come out of their face, and then other people heard it, and they went, I'm free on Saturday, and then they went and did it. That's amazing. Let alone the fact it's the dumbest protest of all time. That's the dumbest protest of all time. Like, you're not even... How does that help climate change? How does that raise awareness for climate change? It raises awareness uh, for, you know, anti public school. I don't I don't know what it raises the awareness to, but it definitely doesn't raise the awareness to climate change. Like what happens now? 
What happens now? You went to the art museum. You threw the soup. It's it's uh, clam chowder dripping down Mona Lisa's face. Now what happens? A poor janitor has to come by with paper towels that used to be trees that are going to end up in a landfill. And he's going to bring out the bleach spray, maybe an aerosol. And he's going to do, he's going to spray all this ozone eating matter into the atmosphere to clean up, to clean up your disgusting clam chowder off of Mona Lisa's cheeks. You're adding to the problem. Your protest is worsening pollution. It's worsening climate change. This poor janitor. This poor janitor. Did you, did you talk to him? Did you run it by him? I bet you that janitor would have had a better protest idea than whatever the hell that was. It makes no sense. That's like if you were protesting abortion and then you threw a dead baby through the window of the office. You're like, what? But you just, you're adding to it. How is this a protest? That might have been a dark example, but it's the only one. It doesn't make any, it's like, it, I wrote a couple down. I wrote one down because I couldn't think of any. It's like protesting illegal immigration by going and uh, taking a leak on some greeting cards at CVS. What? Yes, you've raised awareness, but the awareness that you've raised is so stupid that we're not listening to your message. It's hard to listen to your message when there's Campbell Chunky Soup going down a Rembrandt, you know? I think I named every artist I know. I think I did it all. Monet, Picasso, Rembrandt, Jim Joie. That might actually be one. I just made a French vowel noise, and that, that, that might be a painter. Jim Joie? Oh, you don't know about Jim Joie? He's all about the perspective. He's the one that did the cube next to an apple. Have you seen that? With the shading on both sides so you knew where the light source was coming from? That's a Jim Joie. You know what's funny? I feel like <laughs> half the population might actually be like, I think there's a Jim Joie. I think that's where we are as a society. I don't know if I saw this in the news, but they said because of the pandemic and all the kids having to do uh, virtual learning, they like, they just, you know, they're back in school this year and they did all the testing and none of them can read, none of them can do math, which I'm not making fun of them because I can barely read and my math is, uh, thank God for phones with calculators because I can't do it. Thank God they started putting the suggested tip amount in the receipt. If you're a restaurant that doesn't do that, get on it. Get on it, or I'm going to tip too little because I can't do the math. Or I'll tip too much because I have shame, which I guess benefits. But for the most part, just put the tip in there. But yeah, these kids, they've done virtual learning for like two years because of the big pandemski, as Jesse Egan would say. And uh, they're not good at school now, which is the perfect, you know, finally, there's like written proof that homeschooling doesn't work. It doesn't work. I know, I know. You might be listening to this and you're like, I'm homeschooled and I'm doing well. Okay, you're the exception to the rule. Or you may be a parent and you're like, my kid's doing all right. I homeschool them. Okay, you're the exception to the rule. What about everybody else? What about every other weirdo I have to run into where I'm like, why aren't you in the back peeling potatoes? Why are you up front talking to me? Because you can't work on your social skills in front of your mother. Okay, that's your mother. And they know that. 
kids grow up and they're like, well, I can't talk to the stranger the same way I talked to my mother, but that's the only person I've talked to in person, so what the hell do I do now? And then now it's just me and him having to stare off at Panera because he doesn't know how to describe the size of the soup to my fiance, and it's going to be an awkward, well, let's just give it a try then situation. <sighs> Dumb arguments, you know? We had a dumb one the other day. We were walking, uh, Emma and I were walking through our neighborhood. We live in a nice neighborhood here in San Diego. And there was an open house and we strolled in. You ever do that? You know, you can't afford a house. You're not even in the market to buy a house, but there's an open house in your neighborhood. And you're like, let's go in there. Let's take a look. Let's take a gander. Let's kick the, uh, let's kick the tires on this old house. Let's see what they did in there. Let's see what they're doing in homes these days. And we went in. It was this beautiful house. It's like three bedroom, three bathroom. They had an upstairs cool attic. It was one of those pointy roofs where it had the slant with the sunlight, and it was all carpeted. And there was like two rooms up there. It was gorgeous. And Emma and I almost got into an argument about where which room in the attic to put the office in if we lived there. I was like, this room should be the office, and she's like, no, that room should be the gym. And there was already like gym equipment in there. And I'm like, you're only saying that because there's gym equipment here right now. And then she cut me off. She goes, wait a second. Are you about to argue with me about a house that we can't afford and are not even going to make an offering and have no earthly idea on how we would ever live in? We couldn't afford to rent this place, let alone buy it. And I went, damn it, you're right. I apologize. You ever do that? You ever have an argument with your significant other about how you two should lay out a house that you will never live in a day in your life? It reminded me of my buddy Josh Nelson. He got into a Twitter argument a year or two ago about how the kids should go back into the classroom to learn. And he's like, yeah, I was going back and forth with somebody. And then after a while, I was like, I don't even have kids. Why am I in this argument? That's how that felt. That's how dumb I am. I just get caught up because it's an open house but at the same time you're like you got to act the part you can't just walk in there with renter energy because they're gonna know and they're gonna ask you to leave you gotta walk in there with oh i'm a homeowner i'm thinking about adding this one to my portfolio you got to come in with that kind of energy you can't just be tripping over yourself going <laughs> what's the deposit you know you can't do that do I have to give you first and last month? How do we? You can't do that. You got to come in, homeowner energy, and I got carried away with it. And I think for a millisecond I thought, yeah, we might buy this place. And then, it, no, no, we're not gonna. I think I'm gonna rent for life. I think even if I and I think even if I like ever make a really significant amount of money. I might just rent two places. I was thinking about that. I, like if I ever get like a really high paying TV gig or something, or I win the lotto, I don't think I'm gonna buy a house. I think I'm gonna rent a place in two cities. Like we were th talking about like how cool would it be if we had a place in New York and LA or New York and San Diego or blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. I think I would do that. It's like the worst thing you could do with your money. Are you gonna are you gonna own? So blah blah blah. No, you're gonna rent. Just gonna blow all this money and then, you know, die eventually. I wasn't gonna hand my kids anything. They gotta learn. Their father's an immigrant. I don't even have kids. 
This is what I mean. I just go down these hypothetical trains of thought where I start having strong opinions about things that haven't happened yet and most likely might not ever happen. And then I start getting argumentative about it, which uh, is a great thing to bring up in therapy. Thank God for therapists. Um, oh, this is a fun time of year. I'm sorry, I'm looking at my notes over there. This is, uh, this is a fun time of year. It's election season, but it's not the president. It's the other ones. It's like mayors, congressmen, city council, ombudsmen. You may not know that one. That's, uh, that's an elected official that looks out for the care and well-being of elderly people in a community. I only know that because I used to work at a retirement home in high school and they used to teach us about that in the Welcome to Working at a Retirement Home video. Um, yeah, I, I only know it's election season because I see everyone's posters, you know, as you drive down the street. Vote for Carl, for sheriff. Like, I don't know, maybe. I don't know anything about you, Carl. There's not enough information in your poster. How do I know you're going to be a good sheriff? How do I know? Vote for Susan for city council. What are you going to do with the city? I don't know. That's not enough information. But also, I don't want to look up the information. And I don't want you to text me. I got a text. I've been getting lots of texts. I've been getting lots of texts from people I don't know. I don't know how they got my number. I guess it's in the voter registration forms that I probably filled out at some point. Because everyone's like, you need to vote. And I got to tell you, the worst way to get my vote is to text me. Don't text me. Don't contact me. Then you're like, oh, how am I going to get your vote? You probably won't, but you'll guarantee the fact that I won't vote for you if you ever text me. If you call me, I can ignore that. I just won't pick it up. I don't pick up phone calls unless I know who they are. Unless it's a spam risk and I have some time to kill, I would love to mess with some people from Calcutta. That's fun. But... If it's like a political thing, I'm like, don't call me. Don't call me. I'll ignore that call. But if you text me, I'm going to read the text. I'm going to open the text. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to remember your name. I'm going to remember your name. I'm going to put it in my list in my head on the do not vote for list in my head. I'm not voting for Lindsay because she texted me about something. Voting. No. And you might be wondering, how do you get me to vote for you? Bring a dessert. Do you remember running for city council or, or a student president or student treasurer in school? Bring some muffins, candy. It's Halloween season. There's great deals on sacks of candy at the grocery store. Come by my house. Don't you dare knock on my door. You leave a nicely worded, short, brief letter tied to a Hershey, a bag of Hershey Kisses, and then I'll vote for you. Or you bring over some fresh muffins. In a, in a sealed bag. I don't want anything you might have slipped a laxative in that's going to ruin my next flight. I want a sealed muffin with short brief, brief letter outside my house. Don't you dare knock on my door and close the gate on the way out. The way to get my vote is to give me food, sweets, give me sweets, and don't talk to me. And leave your message short. I don't like to be bothered. I don't, I don't want to be social. That's not who I am. That's the way I, I, I uh, that's the way I'll vote for you. And that actually gets to, that that actually gets me to my next thing. I don't think I'm voting this year. I was thinking about it. I was in the shower 
And I'm like, I don't know. Midterms are the hardest ones to vote for because it's like president's easy because they they just split it up. You know, they like, you want that? You believe in this or you believe in this? You know, they're like, are you <laughs> do you want inflation to go away or do you want to have abortions again? Those are the I think that's going to be the major uh, electoral situation for next year. <laughs> and that, that one's easy to vote for. Because people have their beliefs. Um, but I think I'm taking the next couple elections off. I think I'm taking this midterm thing off and the next president one. I'm going to sit this one out. And the re- I'm not saying you should. I'm saying I'm going to. And the reason I'm going to is because I've noticed since I've started voting, things have been getting worse. Since I turned 18 and I've been eligible to vote, things have gone poorly. And it doesn't matter who I vote for. Like if the person I pick wins or the person I pick loses, things just keep getting worse. And I'm starting to realize that the common denominator is me. I know that seems narcissistic, and it is. But I think it's me, and I want to apologize. I think I've been making the country worse by participating, and I'm going to not participate. I'm going to let you guys do it. This is my Jesus take the wheel moment. You guys figure it out. You pick the ombudsman. You pick the city count council person. You pick the state comptroller and the governor and the mayor. And I'm going to hang back. And next year or in two more years, you pick the president. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back. Because my participation has made everything bad. There's the homeless. There's homeless people everywhere. People have lost their homes because I've participated in the democratic process. I am so sorry. I want to walk up and down the street and knock on the flaps of these tents and go, I'm so sorry. I did it. I think it was me. It wasn't even who I voted for. It was just the fact that I showed up and I got my dumb I voted sticker and I posted it on Instagram. I think I'm hurting the world. The world. I'm hurting America. So I'm going to stop. And uh, you're welcome, by the way. And do good, good luck. Pick a good one. Because if I don't vote in this one and the next one, I'll wait four more years. And then if things get worse after that, if things get worse in six more years from today, I'll vote again. How about that? Because then I'll know it wasn't me. Then I'll know for a fact it wasn't me. But I'm going to skip the midterms this year. I'm going to skip the next presidential election, and in six years, I'm going to check the books. I'm going to see how we're doing. I'm going to see if there's more or less homeless people. I'm going to see if uh, what a loaf of bread costs. I'm going to see if uh, people can get abortions again, and people can still marry who they want. And as long as everything's on the good and good, then maybe I'll, I'll jump in. I'll give my little sticker again. But I, so, I'm sorry. It was me. It was me this entire time. So many homeless people. It's. It, I was in Washington. They're everywhere. I. I was reading something, or I was watching a video on homelessness. I think I was reading something, and the headline said homelessness is not a crime. And I'm like, maybe it should be. You know, maybe uh, maybe we should make homelessness a crime, and the punishment should be a home. And treatment. And you have to go. And you can't be outside. You can't. 
I think that's what we need to do. We need to make homelessness a crime. This Also, I'm not running for office right now. That'd be so funny if that was my way of not participating in the next election is by running myself and just being like, well, I'm not going to vote for me, but you guys should vote for me. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the solution to homelessness. Make it illegal and the punishment is a home and treatment. And then we hire a bunch of cops that are on the streets and they just keep saying keep it moving remember those old-timey cops from like the 50s and 40s like in the black and white movies where they would just be they'd have a whistle and a stick and they'd just be like keep it moving keep it moving that's how you assure that these homeless people don't end up back on the streets and go back to their home that we give them is there's always someone going keep it moving keep it on moving and then now you're wondering how do we pay for it we got a bunch of billionaires that's, why don't we ask him? You know? Why don't we ask our our, uh, our Uncle Elon and Bezos and Gates? And there's more billionaires. But, you know, we'll start with the famous ones. And we just got to talk to him, kind of like a stepdad. You never had a rich stepdad? I mean, I haven't. I had two poor stepdads. But you can still ask him for stuff. You know? I think that's what we got to do. We got to go to our, our rich uncle slash stepdad's the Musks and the Bezoses and the whatnots, and we go, we need some homes for these people because we're making homelessness illegal. Zoltan 2024. I think that, that about covers it. Um, <laughs> that might be my dumbest idea ever. See, that's what I meant about like the soup thing and how that's a stupid idea and I don't let the stupid ideas out. You just heard that dumb idea come out of my mouth. Imagine what I'm holding in. Imagine what's on the other side of these pearly whites just floating around in my brain. You don't know. Nobody knows. I also probably don't have what it takes to make it all illegal. I'm not good. I'm a people pleaser. I'm a toxic people pleaser. Here's an example. We had an Uber driver in Ottawa that almost killed us. He was the worst driver I've ever seen behind a motor vehicle in my entire life. I've been around for 35 years. I've seen some bad drivers. This guy was the worst driver I've ever seen. He picked us up. He missed two turns immediately. And there's a phone telling him exactly where to go, telling him exactly how many meters, because we're in Canada, until we got to take that right. And he's like, I missed it. I missed it. And then finally, he made it. We're on the freeway. And he starts cutting around traffic on the shoulder. On the shoulder. Like he's a... Uh, a drug dealer outrunning the cops. He pulls into the emergency lane, doesn't even put his hazards on, punches it to 60, and just starts passing people, cutting people off, making turns at the last minute. Like, I'm watching his phone, and his phone is like, in a thousand meters, take a left. And he would wait till they got down to like four meters, which I don't even know how long a meter is. But when they tell you a thousand, and you wait till it's four, and then you go, bloop, bloop, bloop and then there's eight cars honking, and while they're honking, you don't even blink, that means you shouldn't be driving. And he actually knew he was a bad driver. He turned back. We're in Ottawa, and he turns back to us. He goes, sorry, I just moved here. I'm new to the city. And I'm like, this isn't a new-to-the-city problem. He goes, I'm from Toronto. And I'm like, I, how poorly would you drive in Toronto if you had I'm from here, familiar with the city energy? You would have jumped us off a bridge to shave two minutes off and then somehow missed a turn and made us 10 minutes late. That drive was so bad. Emma knows me. She knows I never give a one star. 
and we get out of the car and she goes you have to give that guy a one star and i just went i can't do it i can't do it that's for someone else and she's like but it's dangerous that guy's gonna kill somebody and i go i know i know that guy will kill somebody either him people in his car or the poor family of 20 that he smashes into people will die because of this driver but it's not on me that's for someone else to leave a one star review and you know why i did that it's because that night i had a show at a college and i thought if i give this guy a one star review that's bad juju for me possibly having a good set at a college and i didn't give him a one star review and i ended up having a bad set anyway so that goes for nothing <laughs> and i should have given him a one star i just can't do it i'm a people pleaser for me to give an uber driver a one star review they would have to be like actively trying to murder me they would have to have both hands around my throat and my eyes need to be like rolling back and then i'd have my phone out and I'm like i'll do it i give you a one star and then if he stops i wouldn't give him a one star but if he kept going right before i blacked out I'd hit one star and send, and then that would be it, and I'd be dead. And then Uber would know who did it, because I've never given a one-star review ever, and they would be like, it was this guy in Ottawa. But he didn't try to kill me with his hands. He tried to kill us both with his vehicle. And for that, you know, I didn't give him five stars. I just didn't review him. I also didn't tip him. That's not, I feel like Uber should know. Uber, like the algorithm for Uber should know that there's too many people pleasers in our society that don't want to give people one star reviews or anything less than five. So if like Uber, if the algorithm is listening to my words right now, if I don't give someone a five star review and I don't review them at all and I leave them no tip, that's a one star review. You should know that. Have some nerd type that into the code. I don't know how many zeros and ones I got to type in for that to spell out. Hey, if Zoltan leaves no review and no tip, that man is a danger to society. We need to get him off the road. One star. One star. One star. I just can't do it. I don't know. I don't want, I don't want that responsibility. People pleaser, man. I don't speak up for things. I speak up for things I like. It's just hard for me to be negative because I just feel like the universe is going to come back and then do it to me. And I don't want to put that. I do it for selfish reasons. It's not like I'm a people pleaser because I'm just a nice, good hearted. I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for selfish, narcissistic reasons in the realm that I don't want the world to come back and kick me in the nuts because I gave that guy in Ottawa a one star for almost killing everybody that was within eyeshot of him. But I do like to express things I like. I uh, Starbucks, pumpkin cream cold brew. I'll yell that off the mountain until the cows come home. That's an amazing drink. Starbucks, pumpkin cream cold brew. No, that doesn't make me unmanly for saying I like it. Actually, it makes me feel more manly that I like it. Okay? It, uh, that, that drink is so good, it helps me connect with my feelings. I'm able to express love better i love people i make eye contact i smile at strangers i consider giving to charity like when i'm at the grocery store if i have my pumpkin cream cold brew in my hands and they're like hey do you want to give five dollars for the 
Cleflip Kids of Columbia? I consider it. And then I don't, because I remember how much that loaf of bread costs. Thank you, inflation. But I consider it. I'm just so, I don't know. It brings joy to my heart. It brings so much joy to my heart. I'm just a better person. I let people merge in traffic. I'm like, come on in. I got the pumpkin cream. But if I order a tall and you make a mistake and you accidentally give me a grande, which is what happened in Washington. I went in there, I ordered my tall, just the, that's the small in Starbucks speak, the tall pumpkin cream cold brew, and they came out with a hilariously giant bucket of it. And she's like, I'm sorry, I accidentally wrote down uh, grande somehow, and but we're not going to charge you more. You can just have this. And I knew I should have said, can you just remake it? Can you just give me a tall? Because I know me. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell myself not to drink that, which is what I did. I told myself, hey, just drink a quarter of that, maybe a third, but don't drink half and don't drink more than half. You will ruin your day. It will ruin your day. And guess what happened? I drank more than half. I left maybe a third, maybe a quarter, and it ruined my... That's too much cream. Nobody's body can process that fake dairy with the pumpkin. Oh my god, I had a two-hour drive through the mountains. Thankfully, I had a good rental car. I was in a, a, a VW Passat with the turbo. I had the hammer down flying through the mountains because I had to get to that hotel with a private bathroom that is way too much pumpkin cream cold brew to be coursing through my digestive tract. It was ridiculous. I showed up to the counter that Best Western sweating, buddy. I was like, I need the keys. And they're like, well, do you want any? No, I just get the idea. I'm going to take a dump in your lobby if you don't give me my keys. And please make it on the first floor. If you give me a key to a fourth floor room, I will ruin that elevator. And your janitor will hate me. I'm going to add to the climate change issue because of all, all the aerosols that will have to be brought into that elevator for what I'm about to do in there if you don't give me a first floor room because I drank too much of this pumpkin cream cold brew because they gave me a bucket of it instead of a tall. Size matters. Don't ever let anyone tell you size doesn't matter. Size matters. Pumpkin cream cold brew, tall, please. Just tall. Give me a grande. It will ruin, I'll ruin other people's days let alone my own. I'll ruin a rental car. Now some poor guy at Nationals got to figure out how to get that stain out. I'll ruin a hotel lobby. Poor janitor. He's like, I don't have enough sawdust for whatever the hell that is on the ground. I'll ruin everybody's day. Small. Um, <laughs> I think we hit everything. Yeah, there's a couple more things. But I think it's a good episode. Through the soup and the drivers and the something and the something. Saw some wild elk, which is great. It's beautiful. I was on the drive to Washington. I saw... This is exactly what you'd want. I'm in a rental car. I'm driving through Mount Rainier National Park. And there's no one on the road. It's just me. And I see these giant... Turned out to be elk. I didn't know what the hell they were. They were huge. There's four of them. I got video of it. And I put it on Instagram. And... They just magically crossed the road, and I stopped, and I watched them, and I videoed. And I was so enthralled by the beauty of these elk that I didn't even say anything in the video. All you hear is heavy breathing. All you hear in the video is just... That's how 
just dumbfounded I was. That's how it feels when you see wildlife. In the wild, unexpectedly. This wasn't at the zoo. I've never seen elk before. I didn't even know they were elk. I thought they were moose. I'm like, what is that? They're huge. I thought they were female moose without the antlers. And the only reason I knew they were elk is because I kept driving. And like a mile later, there was a sign that said elk crossing. I'm like, those were elk. That's how I found out. And I got to tell you, it was so magical to see animals that big in the wild unexpectedly that I totally get why people get too close to like buffalo and moose and deer and then those animals just mess them up. I get it. Because when you watch the video, you're like, what is wrong with you, you idiot? That's a wild bison. Why would you get out of your car and try to touch its nose? Of course it gored you. Of course it ruined the vacation. But when you're in the moment, I had to fight every urge in my body from getting out of that car and touching one of those elk. I don't know what it is. It's just this magical, I'm in the woods, it's gorgeous scenery, there's no one else on the road. I just slowed down, they're all looking at me. They were looking at me like, why don't you come out and pet us? Why don't you come on over? What are you doing in there? How many more opportunities in your life are you going to get to meet me and my family? We're elk, and you think we could be moose. Why don't you come on out? Come on out. Get a better angle. Why don't you try to scratch me on the side of your uh, on the side of my neck, like you know that your cat's like? Why don't you do that? Why don't you see? Wow. Well, why not? What if, what if? What if we like it? What if we lick you? What if you just have this spiritual moment that just changes your life, where you quit your job and you become a park ranger, live in the mountains in a cabin, and then we come by every morning while you eat oatmeal, sipping a coffee, and we just lick your toes? What if that happens? It was this magical pull of seeing these beautiful creatures. And I almost got out of the car, and I didn't, because I remembered how much I laugh at people getting gored by bison. <laughs> and I'm like, keep your dumb ass in this car. And thankfully I did. Thankfully I did. Um, all right, before we go, uh, hey, I got some shows coming up. Tampa, Kansas City, La Jolla, Oxnard, California. Uh, Ontario, California, Los Angeles. Tickets are on sale to all of these. Cleveland. Tickets will be on sale soon for Cleveland, I believe, this week. Go to my website, ZoltanComedy.com. Sign up for my email list. As soon as you go to my website, the little pop-up will come up. Give me your email. Tell me where you live, and I'll let you know when I come to a town near you in case you miss these podcasts or all my social media posts about it. Uh, I love you guys. I don't know why my, why my voice cracked. I also don't know why I said it, because a lot of you I don't know. So how could I love you? I just didn't know what to say to end the show. So I'm just going to end it. Cheers. Mazel tov. Stop throwing soup at art. And uh, I'm not voting for a few years. Cheers. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>